Um, it says that every every single person is deserving of dignity, no matter how damaged or uh, disrupted the shell that carries it. Hmm. And um, basically, it, it's 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 saying don't look at the outer appearance of of a person to define their worth. What makes the journey worth it? The pain, the adversity, the opposition, the challenges, the uncertainty. Why do I have to go through this? What's the lesson in this? I got a paralyzed right arm and hand. The million dollar question I get every single day is you wouldn't change what happened to you, why? Serendipity, join us for insightful dialogues about not just successes, but about failures, opposition, adversities that shape and mold the individuals to who they are today. I'm Inky Johnson. This is Serendipity. Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome to Serendipity with Inky Johnson. Today's guest, Terrence Lester. You know, he's a husband. He's a father. He's an activist. He's a founder of an organization called Love Beyond Walls that do amazing, amazing work here in the city of Atlanta and beyond. But I can't wait for you guys to hear his perspective, hear his insight. And so we're going to get right into it. Terrence, how you doing, my brother? I'm doing well, bro. How are you, man? Man, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. First and foremost, it's only right, man. I want to say thank you for your time. I greatly appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate being here, and um, I'm excited to chop it up with you. No doubt. No doubt. So, man, you you do some incredible work, you know, here in Atlanta with your organization uh, called Love Beyond Walls. You know, could you share where that originated and manifested from? Yeah, um, man. Firstly, I would like to say that I never thought that I would um, I would be a leader or be even considered a leader. I had a uh, a mentor of mine when I was about sixteen and a half years old uh, uh, that looked at me and told me that I was going to be a leader. Um, but it's ironic because when he was telling me that, uh, it was a night that I was going to be sleeping in a park experiencing homelessness wow. a- as a teenager. Um, uh, this, this man, uh, went on to become, you know, the person that I could reach out to and say, Hey, should I, should I finish school ap- after, uh, dropping out? And, uh, the person that I could reach out to and say, should I put myself through college? Mm. And he became one of those persons in my life uh, that saw the best in me, right? Um, he he was the person that could call out things in me that I couldn't even see in myself at the moment. Mm. And I always reference him because uh, a large part of the work I do uh, is because he inspired me to see my pain as a gateway to passion. Uh, he inspired me to see my pain as something that could be empowering uh, to me and not oppressive to me, mm. something that could actually liberate me um, and be used as a tool to to also cause liberation for others. And uh, Mr. Moore uh, was probably the person that encouraged me to start my organization and and see all of the wonderful ways that I believe God is is uh, used my story to. Um, uh, see other people going through this similar pains. And uh, yeah, he passed away uh, the first year I started my organization. 
but I'll never forget him telling me that, um, you know, that my gift and my skill sets and the way that I was able to tell my story was uh, for, for those who were hurting just like me. And so while many people do things as hobbies, uh, a lot of the work uh, that I do is has been birthed out of out of uh, the suffering of my own life and wanting to um, see other people overcome their struggles. Yeah, that's beautiful, man. You know, I saw you speaking and you were talking about just advocacy for, you know, poverty, advocacy for homelessness. And I saw in one of your speeches, you were talking about when you went home to your wife, you know, after spending time, you know, with a couple of people that were homeless and you told your yeah. wife, like, hey, I think I'm supposed to be homeless. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was that was on the, that was on the other side, man. So, yeah. you know, fast forward and I'm, I'm married. Yeah. Um, and I'm doing work and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about how could I like formally form something like real intangible as a, as a vehicle to mobilize people, but also as a as a vehicle of a, an expression of love. And I was building a relationship with this guy named Kurt mm-hmm. in the heart of the city. I mean, I would go and have breakfast with this guy every single um, week um, for a matter of three months. And Kurt used to stay behind this building in a lot of trash. Mm. And one day I had the courage to ask him, I said, Hey bro, like I have a lot of uh, relationships and resources. I could get you off the streets and possibly into a shelter. And he looks at me and he says, there's a, there's a shelter nearby, mm. uh, 500 guys sleeping in chairs. It's only one restroom. The smell is so thick. Mm. You could take it. And he's, um, he says, as a matter of fact, I'll probably be up all night. Um, protecting everything I own and possess in this one bag. He says it's more comfortable on the backside of this building than it is in one of our own shelters in the city. And that struck me. And I'll never forget him asking me this question. He says, why don't you do it? Hmm. He says, why don't you go and, you know, uh, sleep in the shelter or live up under a bridge and, and you tell me how it is? Now, Kurt didn't know my background that I had experience some struggles myself. Um, and I'll never forget on the ride home. I, I was just thinking about them uh, because it, it was in the middle of November and it was starting to get colder. Mm. And I walked in my house and I broke down and I was sitting at the kitchen table with my wife and my, my daughter and my son. And my wife says, what's going on with you? Mm. And I say, um, you know, Kurt told me that I should live on the streets. And I, I think that's, that's what I want to do. And she says, what? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, what, what <laughs> and I was like, yeah, it was just this, this moment where I, I realized that the people that I'm, I'm wanting to serve and walk with, I had to be daring and bold enough to take off my shoes of comfort to walk in there. Yeah. And, um, long story short, that's what my wife and my kids allowed me to do. And they were dropping me off underneath the bridge 2013 mm. i mean it's, it's 17 degrees outside with a wind chill of 10 degrees and it was dropping even more and they allowed me to live on the streets wow. uh for a combination of, of a little over a month actually wow. and so i i ate, a, I ate out of trash cans i was put out of shelters you know there were nights where i almost froze to death mm. i was um talked down to 
I was with my uh, friend experiencing homelessness, like throwing donated clothes in a, in a fire pit because there's no firewood, you know, going through all of these experiences and documenting them with my cell phone, really trying to build empathy towards this community. Yeah, right. Absolutely. You know, because I remember when my, my toes almost froze to death. My friend Tony walked over to his tent and donated me his last pair of donated socks. Wow. And it was this realization that sometimes people who have less are, are willing to give more than those who have access uh, to certain privileges. And it was just like this reversal of understanding what it's really like uh, to experience uh, this struggle, but also to be viewed as someone who is criminal. Mm. And so it became really real for me. And one of the things that, you know, I wanted to do is, you know, take love beyond walls to mobilize people to see that, that walls are the things that actually divide us that, you know, people, whether you have an address or not, mm. still have worth and value. Um, and I saw a lot of myself and, and many of the people that um, we've been able to work with, and yeah, man, seven years later, we've gotten hundreds of people off the streets. So strong, bro. I uh, yeah. I want to read something, man, that you had on your Instagram. <laughs> okay. Powerful, bro. It said, how you treat people says a lot about what's in your heart. Mm. You can elaborate on that for me. Yeah. Yeah, I just... I, I, I have a strong belief in the lived message. Mm. You know, um, uh, I'm traditionally trained as a, a minister. I'm ordained and all of those things. Um, you know, I've, I've preached in churches. I've spoken in universities. I, I've spoken all over the place. And the, the, I always am asked this question, what keeps you going? Mm. And uh, my answer to that is because I'm trying to live my message mm. that's in my heart. And, you know, I don't I don't come from a place where, you know, I have time to uh, fabricate mm. behaviors. Yeah. Right. I'm trying to, like, really model what's at my core, at my center. Right. And that is love. And anytime you hear people talking and using rhetoric to describe hmm. um, how they want to behave, hmm. but not really behaving in that way, it says a lot about what's in their heart. Your heart is an accountability system is what I'm saying, hmm. because you, you can never uh, uh, use enough rhetoric to uh, to hide uh, what's going to come out in the wash after you've <laughs> lived from your center, right? Yeah. And, and that's basically what I'm saying. So, like, if a person wants to really uh, show the world who they are, you know, let us see it. Let us mm. see how you show up in your everyday life. Mm. And, you know, that's what I'm modeling for my kids, man. And um, hopefully modeling for anybody who is watching the work that we do because, to me, service is a lifestyle. It's not an event. Mm. And, you know, it's, it's just like I'm trying to push back against that event mentality where people have this psychology where I, don't want, I only want to show up when it's convenient. Mm. Right. And commitment says that I'm going to show up even when it's not convenient. You know, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's a commitment to the essential. Yeah. 
That's real, man. Like, um, I'll never forget our first time going to my sister's house, you know, downtown. Mm. I took a group of people. And, like, the spirit when we went in and then the spirit when we came out, you know, was totally different. You know, it was a sense of gratitude. And they were in the shelter, right? And you're going on the streets and then you're helping people get into different shelters and things of that nature. But when we went in the shelter, serve, and when we came out, the spirit, the gratitude was totally different. And so just watching you, man, it's a different admiration and different respect for what you do. And then watching you during COVID, right? When COVID hit and you guys hitting the streets, you know, with your portable systems and things of that nature, helping people stay clean, stay sanitized. Can you talk a little bit about what started that, you know, and what that was when you guys went out to the streets helping people, you know, whether it was sanitized or whether it was washing their hands, things of that nature and how that manifested. Man, respect. Thank you, bro. Um, <clears throat> you know, in hindsight, I get I get a little um, emotional thinking about it because, you know, I lead a nonprofit organization, and um, you know, when COVID first hit, you know, as a leader, I panicked because I'm like, oh my god, like, how do we sustain? How do we survive? Firstly. You know, to continue to show up and be on the front lines. Uh, our volunteers were quarantined, right? We were averaging, you know, five to six hundred volunteers a month doing all of these uh, projects to serve wow. those living on the streets. Um, we had to shut down a lot of our uh, programming, but it goes back to the heart. You know, mm. I was sitting in my office, um, and our team was in the office. And we were hearing about everything closing now. And this guy walks in off of the streets. Uh, we have a community center. He was coming to get some uh, resources and he used the Internet. And he starts talking about how he was afraid he was going to contract COVID because he says, I have nowhere to wash my hands. I have nowhere to wash my hands. I mean, guys literally in tears. There's no PPE gear for uh, people experiencing homelessness. Uh, testing was only for those who have had access and uh, it was just a lot of unknowns. And so like I had to make this decision in that moment, do I retreat or do I lean in? Um, Do I allow the circumstances or the crisis to crush me or do I become pliable? Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the things uh, my stepfather used to always tell me, he says, keep your plans fluid, but your vision solid. Right. Mm. And so my, my, my vision was to, um, to continue to show up. I wanted to still be proximate. And when he said that, I remember driving home, uh, similar to how I did when, uh, I asked my wife, could I live on the streets? And I got home and I sat on the couch and I just said it out loud. And she was in the kitchen. I said, I should just start putting sinks in the streets, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and she says, uh, yeah, you should do that. As mm. CNN is in the background saying that you, you have to wash your hands. Right. And so I started doing research and then I remember how we used to use RVs to temporarily house people to help them get off the streets because we had families donating RV units. Mm. And as part of the features for the RV units, you had porta potties, you had portable cooking stations, and then you had portable hand washing stations. Mm. Well, these features and all of these things were used uh, by families who had privileges that would go and do camping trips for leisure. 
And my idea was simple. Uh, it was just to repurpose it for a community of people that were overlooked. Mm. And around that same time, one of my friends uh, named Lecrae yeah. uh, had reached out to me. And he was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. He was like, bro, what are we doing uh, for people on the streets? And I, I was like, I had this idea to put sinks in the streets. And he was like, okay, I'll donate the first 15. So mm. uh, we got all the parts. We assembled the, uh, the sinks and we planted the first 15. I didn't even know, man, that this story would spread all around the, the country and world. And now we're, uh, we have portable hand washing stations in like uh, uh, 62 cities wow. and three additional countries. You know, I was in the middle of the pandemic, man, speaking to lead- leaders in South Korea, Denmark, all around the world advocating on behalf of giving people experience of homelessness access to basic sanitation of soap and water, you know? And right now, man, on any given week, over 20,000 people are washing their hands <laughs> from these portable sinks all around the country. Wow. That's true. <laughs> from, just, just, you know, it was, it was what's in my heart. You know, mm-hmm. I go back to, you can tell a lot about a person uh, uh, and, and who they are based upon what's in their heart, you know. And what was in our heart at that moment was to continue to show up and make sure that people who are deemed invisible also had that type of access. That's beautiful, man. I want to ask you a question. Just hearing you speak, man, it's, it's incredible. What's been your greatest challenge, if you would say, or even view it as a challenge, but I'm just using the word challenge, yeah. you could frame it however you need to frame it. You're a great orator. Yeah. But what has been your greatest challenge with the work that you've been commissioned to do? Yeah. <clears throat> I think one of the greatest challenges for me, um, which is also uh, the thing that drives me, is waking up every single day uh, trying to realize or figure out how I can get people to care about other people mm. who are not like them, mm. uh, which is a huge burden of mine. Uh, it's a challenge, but it's also something that drives me. Um, I live with a personal mission of uh, to create a world where no one is invisible. Mm. Um, and I mean that through and through. Absolutely. But I understand that the challenge of invisibility has a lot of characteristics and, you know, um, potholes and roadblocks to it. Right. Mm. You know, you have people who, you know, close themselves off in a, in a gated community because they have otherized people. You have people who look down on people because they don't make the same thing that they do. Mm. You have people who, you know, hate other people just because of their ethnicity or the color of their skin. So like, there's a lot of barriers and it just grieves my heart that, you know, sometimes I have to wake up and fight to get other people to care about other people, mm. um, specifically those without an address. Mm. Uh, but it's also my life's work and my life's mission to illuminate as many people as I can to see past the exterior, right? Uh, there's a there's a quote that I always keep with me. It says that uh, every single person is deserving of dignity, mm. no matter how damaged the package or shell that carries it. Wow. Right. 
And I, I believe that everybody is deserving of that uh, to have their dignity affirmed because it's, dignity is inherent. And that's mm-hmm. what we're trying to do with Love Beyond Walls, specifically with uh, those without an address. Bro, run that quote back, man. That's strong. <laughs> you got to run that back. That's strong. Yeah. Man. Yeah, for sure. Um, it says that every every single person is deserving of dignity, no matter how damaged or uh, disrupted the shell that carries it. Mm. And um, basically, it, it's, it's, it's saying don't look at the outer appearance of, of a person to define their worth because worth itself, we use, you know, in society and culture, we measure worth based, based upon all of these extrinsic things. Mm. You know, who do you associate with? What kind of car you drive? What mm. school did you go to? What fraternity are you a part of? You know, where do you get your coffee, right? All of these extrinsic things. And when we use that to measure worth, those people who don't have access to those things, are they less worthy? Mm. So I believe this quote is basically the inverse. It's saying, let's not start with all these external things, not, you know, downing those things, let's, but let's not start with worth there. Let's start with the internal. And if we start with the internal worth and value that everyone has access to, then the playing field is, is level, yeah. you know, where we can sit and we can talk. And it doesn't matter if you're the CEO or the janitor, you still have worth. Mm. It doesn't matter if you're a person sleeping behind a building or a person that owns a company that the building is housed, that the company is housed in. It doesn't matter because we're starting with the intrinsic worth and value of an individual as opposed to the packaging or the shell uh, that the worth is wrapped in. Mm. Since I asked you what was the most challenging, now I want to ask you, I know all the stories, you know, probably have a special place in your heart, but what's one story that jumps out to you uh, that touches you, man, that when you think about it, you know, it still holds a special place in your heart from an individual you encounter with homelessness or poverty or just with the yeah. work that you do that's penetrated. Yeah, uh, that's easy, man. Uh, my brother, Mark Moore, um, we were at our our center in College Park. We had uh, some volunteers there and uh, this guy runs into the building. And he says, there's a person digging in a dumpster uh, behind the building. What should we do? Uh so I come to volunteer down and instead of calling the police, I engaged the brother and it was Mark. He was looking for lunch in a dumpster. Um, I asked him his story. Uh, I invited him in and I got him around all these volunteers. And I said, this guy is something special about this guy. Uh, long story short, Mark ended up uh, staying on our property uh, for about a year. And uh, we pledged to walk with him out of homelessness. Well, um, we found out that he was an orphan. He used to work in corporate America. He had a business degree, found out all these wonderful things. And slowly but surely, uh, Mark began to overcome his depression. Mm. Uh, We gave him opportunities to volunteer. He started uh, building his confidence back. And uh, it took eight months to get his birth certificate, right? And after that eight months, after us hiring an attorney to solicit all of his birth records from his uh, his home state and all that stuff, um, 
I pledged to him, man. I said, you know, if you you're willing to go to distance, I'm going to go to distance with you. And so I said, I'm going to stand out on the street corner. Once you get your identification card, I'm going to wear this sandwich board that Mm -hmm. says higher mark. Um, So we stood out on the street in front of CNN, uh, heart of the city. We had people help write resumes and all this stuff. And uh, before you know it, his resume was shared thousands of times online. Uh, This brother was able to reunite with his kids. And Mark got a job within six days of us uh, doing this Hire Mark campaign. Uh, Two weeks after he got his initial job uh, from a suit company, um, he was called by a corporate company. And right now he's back in corporate America. Uh, He's on his own. He's functioning. Uh, He we're we're about to put out a docu series. He just came and interview for it. Like he we launched a museum called Dignity Museum. He came and spoke at it. Uh, but he's become a friend. He's a source of inspiration. Uh, but it's also it, it just reminds me. His story reminds me of of what it means to to go the distance with people, not for people, with people, yeah. right? Um, which is totally different, man. And that's what we're in it for, just to to go the distance with people, not wow. so that we are making people projects, mm. uh, but so they they rem- they're, they 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 know that they are worthy of being sought out. They're worthy of being seen. And, and that's the difference. Now, oh, that's incredible, man. And so, bro, as I take us out, man, I know you got work to be doing. But as I take us out, Terrence, with the current climate of the world, man, with what we're facing, what we're dealing with, you know, a lot of people have been impacted by this pandemic. A lot of people out of work. A lot of people's lives have changed. If there are any words, any insight, any advice, any encouragement that you would give, what would it be? Yeah. I would tell people, man, to get give yourself grace. Mm. Um, and what I mean by that is I think sometimes we're too hard on ourselves based upon um, the things that we go through, um, that sometimes we beat ourselves up because we lost a job Mm. that sometimes we, um, you know, hold ourselves to these higher expectations than what life is really offering us. Mm. And, you know, I want people to, to know that you can give yourself grace, um, that you don't have to be as hard on yourself as life has been hard on you, Mm. uh, that you're the one that, um, you know, that can in many ways reduce the pressure from having to perform or thinking that you have to measure up right now, wherever you are, you're already enough. Mm. And, um, you know, to keep showing up. Yes, sir. That's, That's what I've had to do myself, man. Just keep showing up. Yes, sir. Yeah. But my brother, man, we appreciate your insight. We appreciate your wisdom. We appreciate the work that you're doing, man. Most importantly, we appreciate you leading by example. It's nothing but respect and admiration from my side. I greatly appreciate your time. Thank you, brother. Oh, thank you, Ink. Yes, sir.